Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. You'd have to open up them. You wouldn't fall as far as Eutychus when I go for the next 12 hours. But Well, good morning officially to everybody. We have been going through um, the book of Proverbs and uh, we're couple months now, and uh, we began looking at it beginning in chapter 1 and going uh, expository, if you would, coming through those verses um, and passages as we went through the introduction, the fear of the Lord, the possession of wisdom, the propagation of wisdom, the portrait of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, and the path of wisdom, but then we're jumping sort of slowly into the rest of this book that really is topical in nature, but trying to handle it as well in more of an expository manner. And so I have been using Proverbs chapter 3 as my springboard. So kind of still expositorily going through, but yet using the the topics that Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, is bringing to us. And so we have been considering the pearls of wisdom that we have been given. And so there is life and health. There was food and drink. There was chesed and emet, mercy and truth. And as we saw mercy and truth and having it being bound around our necks, we looked at the fact that that mercy and truth is chesed and emet, which is the um, description of who Yahweh is, that he is faithful and true. He is chesed and emet. It's translated mercy and truth there in Proverbs 3, but it really is, in my mind, faithful and true. He is chesed and emet. And so because of our belief in him, then we want to place that chesed around our necks as well as an ornament of grace that, that we want to be able to function and work and think in, in the same manner that he does. And in that then, because of his chesed that he is faithful and true, then the next thing is I can trust in him with all my heart. I can lean not on my own understanding. I can acknowledge him in all my ways knowing then that he will direct my paths. So then two weeks ago, that led us into the next phase, and that is there are two things that he now states of ways giving us descriptions. Well, what do you mean acknowledging him in all your ways? Well, he then gives us the next uh, idea of that. He gives us an illustration, and that is the honoring Yahweh. But if you were here two weeks ago, honoring Yahweh, how? Ooh, I even left it off. Honor Yahweh with the first fruits, or with my increase, with my material resources. Make sense? That my stuff is really what it is. So everything that I own, all my materialistic stuff, it's not just money, it's everything that I'm supposed to honor Yahweh with it. And so, specifically speaking, then of the first fruits. And then he says, and see if then. I won't fill your barns. I'll fill the barns to the full. And we looked at even Malachi, that while that Yahweh said, test me in this. You've been robbing me. You haven't been bringing the tithes into the storehouse. And so I'm going to let the, the, the um, devourers into the field. But if you bring it back, then just test me on it. See if I won't bless your socks off. Okay? Well, the next area then, Okay, that was the, the chief area. But the next area he gets into, the second area of how we can demonstrate in our life, how we can make God known, okay, acknowledge him, make him known in all our ways, 
is you thought talking about your money was going to be bad. This one's even harder. Chastisement. If I said, hey, I've got a gift that's going to come. You know, God wants us to do something really special. We're all, we're, no, this isn't going to be a fraternity prank. But we're going to get the Board of Education. You know what those are, right? You apply for the seat of learning. Well, I've got some nice Board of Educations here. And as a spiritual lesson, I want you all to bend over. Because I'm going to apply the Board of Education to your seat of learning. And it's going to be a spirit. How many of you would say, yeah, I want to do that. This is exciting. No hands. Nobody really likes getting a spanking. Son, meet me downstairs. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in Pittsburgh and we had a basement. If I heard that, it was not a moment that I forward to. Why, Dad? Are we going to go play ping pong? Because that's where we had the ping pong. Or we're going to play a game of pool? Are we going to play the piano together? No, my dad said, son, meet me downstairs. It was because we were going to have a very short conversation that was going to have some actions involved. Make sense? Do you recognize that God says that's an expression of his love? It's an expression of his love. And so I've titled one as Accepting Yahweh's Love. Accepting Yahweh's love. Because that's really where we're playing with one. This, okay? And so we're going to see, it says, do not despise the chastening of Yahweh. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is, in that do not despise the chastening of Yahweh, it's going to be under the understanding and acknowledgement that Yahweh is chesed nimet. He is faithful and true. And he wants what is best for me. So even when he spanks me, he's doing it out of love and I need to receive that I need as Jesus said continually right change the way you what think because we don't think of spankings as a positive moment because you want to change me and I like the way I am but I need to change the way I think about me so what's fun about um, verse 11 and 12 in um, Proverbs 3 11 and 12 which is what we're going to be looking at today um is that it has been already exposited on in the scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 12. And so Abby read it for us in Sunday school, so I'm not going to read it. No, I'm going to read it again. Uh, but, um, but it's kind of fun how a lot of things in Sunday school want to tie into um, the message. But it has been exposited for us in Hebrews chapter 12 as well, verses 5 and 6. You see the exact same verses. So in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, we see, My son, do not despise the chastening of Yahweh, nor detest his correction. For whom Yahweh loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Well, we see that in verse 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. But there's a slight change to it. There's a slight difference. And yes, it is exactly the same, both in the Greek New Testament and in the Septuagint, which is important. Because the Septuagint is Greek as well, but it, the Septuagint was the Old Testament in the Greek, and so that's in Jesus' day what they understood oral oral tradition. And so sometimes it's kind of fun to look at the Septuagint um, to see what in Jesus' day they understood it to mean in bringing it over the Greek. Okay, and so so what you read in Hebrews chapter twelve really is a quoting of the Septuagint, not necessarily of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay? 
And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of Yahweh. You see that up here. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Kind of a, a little bit of expositing of it. For whom Yahweh loves, he chastens. For whom Yahweh loves, he corrects. Okay, it's kind of close. And what? Scourges. Scourges. But you're right, it's scourges. I don't just say it that way, though. Anyways, but scourges every son whom he receives. Kind of adds something there, doesn't it? Okay? So we want to look at that. But knowing that I have then this writer of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, but we can, that's for another discussion, okay? That, that he adds a little bit more to this as he's expositing it for us. And so I feel like we need to take this whole thing in context. Now, as I went through this, I realized on Friday night, um, I left the characters early because I still was, I'm in the middle of all my studies. I'm just like, man, finally Friday night, I said, this has got to be two messages, okay? So you see on your thing, there's six points. We're covering five points today. Next week, we're only going to cover the sixth point because the sixth point really has three points underneath it. Anyways, and so, yeah. So anyways, this is so volume, and it, I, I feel like it's so important because as Americans, we, we stiff, we're, we're like the Israelites. We're like the Jews in a sense. We, we, we stiffen our necks and we, we harden our hearts. And, and every time God was trying to chasten them to get their attention, they would just stiffen up more. And we, we kind of do the same thing rather than being malleable in, in, in the hands of, of our God. So Hebrews chapter, or, yeah, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be using as, and we're going to come through and then we'll bring Proverbs 3 back into it for today. Next week, we're going to be going through so many verses. That's why I'm leaving it to the end, because I don't want to just slide through it. I want to be able to handle them. So beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read the whole portion, not just these verses up here, verses 1 to 4, but I'd rather read the whole thing, and then we're going to come back, and we'll look at each section as, as we go, okay? So Hebrews chapter 12, if you don't mind turning there, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of Yahweh, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom Yahweh loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. 
Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So as we think of the context, then, of receiving, if you would, accepting the love of Yahweh through his chastening of our lives, the first thing I want to look at is what the writer of Hebrews points out, and that is that Jesus already set for me the example of receiving that. But what's really amazing to me is that he received that with joy. Looking to the cross wasn't even his own punishment. I deserved it. It was my cross. It was my scourgings. It was my whippings that he took. And Jesus endured the cross looking to the joy that was going to be there afterwards. How incredible. What it, I mean, he knew something. Of course he did, right? He knew something that we need to figure out. That God doesn't do anything without a higher plan and purpose. That he had a purpose for Jesus being crucified on the cross. Now I know it's easy. Jesus is God. He was there in the Godhead. He was before the foundation of the world. We can kind of put it all off. But do you? what if you were Jesus? He was in the garden and he's praying to his father and he's saying to his father what? Take it from me. He knew what was coming and he didn't want it. In his flesh, he's struggling with it. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew it had to be this way in order for you and me to be sitting here today. And that's the joy. Could you imagine what it's like for Jesus now? Watching that multitude, David, that you were talking about in Revelation 7. Knowing that the sacrifice was what? Well worth it. That he had to allow himself to go through the pain and the anguish so that you and I could experience the joy which we're going to talk about. But note this concept of endurance, hupomene, that comes through here. Literally, it means to, to, to remain under. To remain under. And so I picture a, a weightlifter, you know? And so they, they got to do that, that clean and jerk thing, you know? They got to they pick it up, and then they got to what? They got to 
put that thing up. And then, they, you know, they always put that one foot, you know, because they're racing. But they got to what? They got to lift it up over the head. But then what are they going to do? They got to, right, they got to remain under it for a period of time. Then they let it go. But just, it's like ants. Every time you picture the, the picture of an atlas, you picture atlas what? He's holding the world. Atlas didn't do that. Jesus did. And he still is. How cold is that? He endured. He endured because of his great love for you and me. For God, in this manner, loved the world that he gave gave the only begotten son. Jesus, if you would, change the verse just a little bit. Loves the world in this manner. That he willingly took upon himself the floggings of the cross. Knowing that the Father had a much greater plan. The example of Christ. Isaiah 53 um, verse 5 says, and I'm going to lose it in my notes, Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the musar, the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, let its mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the morphe, the very form nature of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the, the, the schema, the form, the outward form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. I'm sorry, actually that word there, form, is morphe, because he, came, he took on the, the, the nature of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus set us the example. As we get into this next step then, the exhortation is to remember that now what we're going to read, Jesus has already established that he's willing to do it. It's one thing that I believed as an officer, and I carried on, and maybe I probably learned from my dad, I don't know, but never ask something, somebody else to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And so an officer in the military that the troops will follow is someone who's going to do exactly what he's asked them to do. He's going to be the first to lay down his life. How many of you ever watched... The, the movie called Glory. I don't. It's the it's the one about the Massachusetts and I don't remember what number they were unit in the Civil War that was the first to go after Fort McMaltry, right? I think was it McMaltry? Was it seen it? Anyways, but they went knowing that they were going to die, that they were going to be fodder, that all they were going to do is they were going to absorb the shells, so that the troops behind them could, could um, bring freedom. And they volunteered for that. They weren't 
forced to do it. But their officer led the way. That's a struggle for Bob. You can say what you say. Make sense? But then we pick and choose when we want to lead and when we want to do things. But laying down your life, that's the ultimate scourging, isn't it? But Jesus did it. And so based upon that, we're then given this exhortation. My son, do not despise. Do not despise the chastening of Yahweh, nor detest his correction. The word for despise there in the Hebrew is the word ma'as, and in the, in the, um, the Greek, it's the, the word um, oligareo. Um, for ma'as, I think I left you um, verses on your sheet for you to look at later, okay? Um, just real quick, Numbers 11, um, Numbers 14, Psalm 106, those verses talk about Israel's de- uh, despising of the provision of Yahweh, man in the promised land. Okay, you look, I'll look it up. The word is, is used a lot in those passages. Okay, They despised the manna. God was providing for them in a miraculous way, and they're like, all we have is this manna stuff. And then they didn't want to go into the promised land because they felt like um, grasshoppers. right? And so 1 Samuel 8 um, is Israel... Uh, rejecting Yahweh and Samuel. Um, and 1 Samuel 15 is Yahweh rejecting Saul. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, you know the verse says, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Okay, So the concept of rejecting. But I like the, 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 the Greek word oligareo um, because it really gives us an idea. What does it mean, though? We say they despise, they rejected. They, well, oligos, the Greek word oligos is small. Small, so like a monarchy is the rule by one, an oligarchy is a rule by a few. In a sense, we have when the Supreme Court makes decisions, we have an oligarchy, okay? Because it's a reign by a few. They make a decision, and the rest of us have to what? Abide by it, okay? Deal with it. So an oligos, okay, and then an aura, okay, is how you think, um, how you care about something, and so it's to think or care little for. So put that in there, in this idea of despising. My son, don't think little of the chastening, the musar of Yahweh. The word musar, literally, um, in the Hebrew, musar, and in the Greek, it's paideia, is um, the word which means to um, have uh, discipline or to be instructed in a discipline um, so that the word paideia today is used like even with spelling bees, they put out a Fidea book, it's well-rounded knowledge um, that you have to be disciplined to learn. So, so don't think of discipline as a negative. Remember, if you go all the way back to the first message, uh, second message probably, well, it was first message, it was the introduction, we talked about the word Musar a lot. Okay, So you can go all the way back there if you want to. It's on YouTube and yada, 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 all those different places, okay, on the church webpage. But we talked about Musar in... And I use like to use the word discipline rather than the word chastening, okay? Because, again, when I hear chastening, I think what? Spanking. But the concept is discipline. And do you realize that tw- Jesus took from the multitude 12 what? Disciples. Do you know where the word disciple comes from? Discipline. 
They're the ones who have are been disciplined I mean, the disciplines of the discipler, of the discipliner. Does that make sense? That's what a disciple is. It's the one who has learned. He's walking in the disciplines of the person who disciplined him. That's not necessarily a negative. Until you have to be corrected, which happens a whole lot more than we want to admit that it does. Okay, And so therefore, there is this concept then of in it. So there is a positive and a negative in the what? Discipline phase. We're talking a little bit more about the what phase? The negative phase. Okay, not thinking little of that. Okay, nor then be discouraged, um, be discouraged when it happens. So uh, I put this stuff up there for you. There it is. Okay, and then Job five says, "Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up; he wounds, but his hands make whole." What I think is really exciting about this, and I shared this a little bit with the kids um, on Wednesday, maybe two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. Do you realize who Job is? Who is Job? No, it's not Steve Job. This is Job. Okay. When did he live? A long, long time ago. Before Abraham. Between Noah and before, between the time of Noah and Abraham. How much scriptures did he have? Zero. Zero. It's amazing to read the book of Job with the eye toward what Job theologically, quote-unquote, knew. I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my flesh is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God face to face and not another. That's pretty impressive stuff to, to, to know before the Bible was ever written. But this is also... Actually, this isn't Job stating this. Maybe it is Job. I don't remember if it was Bildad or Job stated this. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise. They knew it. All the way back, coming you know, from the days between Noah and Abraham. This isn't something that Solomon wrote in all the glorious wisdom that God gave him. He's just quoting what Job already stated. That's pretty cool stuff. Do do I think it's from Adam and Eve? Well, no, it's probably not Adam and Eve because they, everybody who was that part died in the flood, right? So does it come from Noah? And so, yes, I do. I think there's a whole lot of revelation that was given in between Adam and Noah that we don't understand about. We were just talking to Joe about this a little bit earlier, about the, the sacrifices and stuff like that. Job came, Job, whew, Noah came off the ark, and he instantly offers sacrifices. What did he take on the ark? He took... Two of every kind, right? No. A seven of the what? Of the clean, which means that there had to be already a concept of what? What was clean and unclean. Does it make sense? So I think there's a whole lot that they understood back then. And then Tower of Babel, they clearly what? They contaminated it, just like we're warned about how the true word of God can be contaminated, and I think it has been. And so, but same concept. Make sense? So, but yeah, so Job, it's an amazing thing. That, that what what he knew and what God had revealed, and then he has recorded it in his word. It's nothing new. But there is the excerpt. The, um, yeah, it didn't move forward. Got it. Go ahead, turn it on. But then we slide into the encouragement side of it. Then, okay, because there is an encouragement, and that is for whom the Lord loves, for whom Yahweh loves, He what? He corrects. So don't despise it. Don't 
think little of it. Don't bemoan it. Don't go against it. Remember, when it happens, God loves you. God loves you enough to not let you get away with what was going on in your life. Oh, but God, why is he doing it? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He's, I mean, I mean, yeah, we'll keep going because we'll talk about that. First of all, as he comes through, is Hebrews 12, 6 to 8. For whom Yahweh loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. If you endure, hupomene, okay, same word, if you, if you bear up under it, okay, chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Well, this is exciting. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him. Musar, again, chastens him properly. Okay? Disciplines him promptly. So, if you spare your rod, your kid... Okay, we'll talk about this next week more, okay? Within the volume. But this is just a picture of, of us with the father. But if your son or your child is throwing a temper tantrum, and you don't tan the hide, okay, using the binoculars, right? Then what does the Bible say? You hate him. You hate him. Ouch. Ouch. We wouldn't say that. But he who loves him will discipline him promptly. I'm giving you a ten count. You say, okay, well, I don't do the ten count. I'm giving you a three count. One, two... Two and a quarter. Two and three eighths. I'm really getting upset right now. Two and a half. I'm coming after you. No. You discipline them promptly. Because you what? Because you love them. And you don't want them to be encouraged to continue in ungodly behavior. Does it make sense? Well, that's the concept where it comes in, that God says that just as it was with our fathers, so it is with him. God has the perfect standard. He's not like us, okay, where we're going to talk about in a moment with the fathers, and, and they did it how they seem best. But God has the perfect standard. And so he knows what is right, and he brings it then to us, right? So he though then scourges every son, that he receives. Do you realize what that word scourge, mistigo, scourge, mistigo really means? It means scourge. To flog. It's to be flogged, just like Jesus was flogged. Hmm. That in a sense, it's not a hundred lashes with a wet noodle, you know, like a spaghetti noodle. Sometimes we like it to be that way, you know. But it's Boy, meet me behind the shed. And while you're there, pull yourself off a switch. Yeah, exactly right. But you know what would happen if that was the case? I never did it with my boys but or my, my girls either. But if they pulled off a too small one, what would the dad do? I mean, let me teach you what size you need to pull off next time. Okay? You ain't going to get away with that next time because you get the extra one for trying to cheat me. So anyways... But he scourges every son 
he receives. This is a powerful word. Um, in my quiet time this week, this is where the quiet time part comes in for those who are at Sunday school. Um, Jesus is given the, the parable of the four grounds, the four soils, better known as the parable of the sower and the seed. Okay, I think it's more of a parable about the four different kinds of soil that were there. Um, but he says in the book of Mark, so Mark's version of it, he says that the ground, the ground, whew, the seed that was sown upon the stony ground received the word, but because it had no place for root, it quickly died out. What did I say? Well, it received the word, the seed, and it quickly died out. Okay? And so, we understand that the seed is the word. Okay? And so, then he talks about the thorny soil. Then he goes to the good ground, the prepared ground, and he says, that ground accepted the seed. The stony ground received the seed. The good ground accepted the seed. And then it produced da 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 da. There's debates upon how you interpret those parables. Some people believe that the last three are all saved and that potentially they can lose their salvation or they will away or whatever. I don't believe that. I believe the only the last one is, is saved. But I thought to myself, wow, okay, this is going to be, this is, you ever read the word, you've probably read it, you've probably seen it before, but all of a sudden it's like, it hits you again, it's like smack. You know, it's like I'm reading this thing, I go, like, oh, wait a second, I need to check my theology. Because that stony ground, what? It received the word. So I went into the Greek. And it's lambano, the Greek word for to receive is the word lambano. I know it's all Greek to you. Just track me with this one. Pretend it's Italian. I don't know. Anyways, um, and so, it, <laughs> whatever, German. Anyways, so it's, it's the word lambano, okay? But then when you get down to the good soil, it's this word paradecomai. Paradecomai. Now, paradecomai. So you're going to track with me on this one, because I don't want to give you everything, but uh, I have to. Anyways, it, it, comes, it comes from the word decomai. You say, oh, that helped. Okay. And so, but decomai um, and lambano are sort of synonymous. They, they are pretty much close. But you can kind of see lambano, decomai. They kind of have a different ending. Make sense? So Greek students, okay, I give you a chart. Remember? What chart is it? The luo chart. Luo. Because in the present active indicative, all verbs end in O. Oh, luo. That's why it's the luo chart. So you have lambano. See, lambano is everything. But this is decomai. Oh my. Oh my. Okay? Why is it oh my? Anybody remember? Say again? No? No, no, it's a verb. It's, Zoe, you got it? No. It's deponent. It's a deponent verb. And a deponent verb, okay, this is going to, this is fun stuff, okay? A de- <laughs> so it is to me, okay? Bear with me in my relishing of my fun, okay? It is a deponent verb, and a deponent verb doesn't have an active voice. It comes straight from the middle passive voice. Now you say, what does that mean? Okay, well, let me educate you a little bit more on this, okay, if you don't know it, okay? So, Bob um, hit the ball. Bob hit the ball. Bob is the subject. Hit is the verb. The ball is the object, okay? Active voice 
Subject is performing the action on the subject. Bob hit the ball. Middle voice, subject is performing the action toward themselves. Bob hit himself with the ball. Okay? Now, the, the, with the ball would be a dative at that moment. But anyways, passive activity is being performed on the subject. Bob was hit by the ball. Does it make sense? Okay. So, decomai instantly comes with this middle concept. Not just to take or receive, because lumbano is a take or receive, okay? Um, like we saw with lachach in um, Hebrew, okay? So, it can be take or receive. So, um, an empty, aren't so excited. But I hand this over to Marcia. Is she taking or receiving? The answer is what? Yes. 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 It all depends on your perspective. Okay? I'm extending it to her, but she is receiving it. Does it make sense? Now, decomai then take to yourself. It's kind of that middle concept. The para then adds the weight to it. He takes us, he receives us to himself. He owns it. It's not just, so like in that parable, they, they take it, but and it goes away. Because they didn't take it and protect it. Make sense? It didn't become theirs. They just accepted it. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's really exciting. Wow, yeah. But then all of a sudden, what? Persecution comes and they go, oh, maybe not. And they go right back. I really don't want it. Because it was never what? Theirs. Jesus, the Father, scourges the ones whom he has taken. So take Galatians chapter 4. That in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, that he might redeem those who are born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm just not extended out there in his hand like, okay, I gotta take him. He said the prayer, you know, whatever. Can I take him back? Not throw him in. Whew, that's odd. Shrinking fish. Throw him back in. No. He's mine. He's mine. And because I am his, he loves me with an everlasting love. And I know that he is said and met. He is faithful and true. Yes? And he's only going to allow into my life, he's only going to bring into my life the things that are going to be good for my life. Eight, I'm going off the thing. No, I'm, I'm not going to get as far today as I planned, okay? This is for real. We may be doing, th- we may have three weeks on this. I've thought about that, actually. I kind of really debated doing three weeks on this thing. I mean, because this, there's so much involved in this. Uh, Romans 8, 28, I wasn't planning on sharing, but you know, it applies right in. Right? We know, we know, we what? We know, I hope. No, I don't hope. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. How cool is that? It's then as well evidence of our legitimacy. Evidence of our legitimacy. If you are walking in sin, 
If you are walking in disregard of God's truth and nothing, God is bringing nothing into your life to spank you. I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not his. Now, I'm going to assume that everybody here is his. Make sense? But this is truth that we need to understand. When we look out there and we see people walking in the world, and we'll take it away from ourselves because it can't be us. And they have no struggles with sin. I don't think there is Sheldon. I remember years ago, a guy coming into my office, previous church, many, 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 many moons ago, a lot of water under the bridge, said, Pastor, I'm struggling with sin. I said, praise God. You just kind of look at me like, there's too many people who aren't struggling. They don't care. They're living and it doesn't bother them. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we, we what? We lie. We lie. And we do not the truth. Then verse 8 to 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. If you can walk in sin and it doesn't bother you, then the Holy Spirit's not convicting you because he isn't in you. Does it make sense? That's a good thing. I hate it when I'm convicted. But it's a good thing. It just proves what? God loves me. And he doesn't like when I fall away from him. When I dabble in the darkness. We don't want to talk about dabble in the darkness. That kind of sounds like satanic stuff, man, you know? But anytime I go outside the will of God, I'm dabbling in darkness. Do you get it? If it's not his light, it's dark. There's, there's, you can't... can't this, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on the fence. doesn't help much. I always like the people... To, if you want to do this straddling the fence thing, think about the fence having barbed wire over it. Make sense? It's not too fun if you're kind of straddling over what? Barbed wire. You'll quickly decide what? i got to be on one side or the other. That's exactly right. Ooh, baby. I mean, uh, yeah, now, now, now we're going real... Real uh, pain and anguish, but so it's an evidence of our legitimacy. Not keep, not keep. Receive versus accept. Receive versus accept. Now, so the accept kind of has the concept of keep in it, but that's a whole different concept that I'm keeping it. Make sense? The idea is here. I give it to you. Now, wait, stop. You're going to do something. you got to make a decision what you want to do with it. You're going to throw it away? It, it's empty, though. In fact, it's got a little bit of my, my spittle or somebody else's spittle on it. This is COVID days. Do you really want it? <laughs> okay. So, so I can take this, but unless it really becomes mine, does it make sense? The, stone, the rocky soil just receives it. The seed comes in. But it doesn't take root. No, that's lombano. It just, because it didn't, it, 
It didn't have any, I mean, the word was sown. Make sense? Some of the, the some of the word, some of the, so, the seed is thrown on the on the on the wayside, on the roadside, right? And what happens to it? Say again. No, no, not on the roadway. The birds come and pluck it up, and we're told that's Satan. So there are some that you sow the seed, right? And before it ever is like even accepted, received, whatever, it's taken. But then there's some who hear it and go. Oh, that's really exciting. But then instantly they go away. We like to think that they're believers, but they probably never were. They just had this, this good good feel. Anyways, I don't want to get distracted on it. We talk more about that later time, okay? So the encouragement of it, okay? And so, but then we go to this edification side, and this is, um, I don't know whether we're going to be able to handle all this, so we'll probably start here next week, but just to kind of get us into this, okay? This edification, because it flows right out of the encouragement part. And that is that the whole goal, the goal of chastisement is to, to build us up, which we're going to see, okay? And so he gives us then this contrast to human chastening. We've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. They indeed, for a few days, it seemed best to them, okay? I'm going to go on. We'll talk about it more next week, okay? Just kind of the high point. But... God does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. There is a goal in it and that we might produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God's not just wantonly spanking me because it's a lot of fun. I mean, I got the authority. I got the power. (laughs) You're just a piece of clay. And if I want to make you into a broken teacup, I'll make you into a broken teacup. But no, God does what he does with a plan and a purpose. And you got to believe that. If you don't believe that God has said in the met, if you don't believe his faith won't true, then you're not going to trust him in all your ways. You're not going to acknowledge him in everything. You're not going to, you're going to lean on your own understanding. You're not going to lean upon his, and you're certainly not going to open up the store, the barn, the barn doors of everything you own to give it to him because you're not going to trust him, and you're certainly not going to trust him with yourself, your own being. So that when God allows the pain and the anguish, I got to believe he allowed it for a purpose, even if I don't ever see it. So farther along, farther along, I love the song, but I don't know whether I'll really will understand why. Maybe not. Maybe not. Hopefully we might, but I may get the glory and never find out because he doesn't owe me an explanation. I just have to trust that he knows what's best. The effect, well, game will pick us up with next week, is if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. If you begin then to see how this is playing out in your life and you're enduring and you're being strengthened because you're remaining up under it, then the next thing is going to be to turn around and help the people. Does that make sense? Just as we saw in 2 Corinthians that you are comforted in order that you may comfort others. And that's the word parakaleo again. This is the encouragement, the parakalesis, that we're given this parakaleo, we're given this exhortation, we're given this encouragement in order that we can be that to others. Just as the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the encouragement, the encourager, the exhorter to us as well. So, in the end, again, we'll pick it up there next week, but how do you view chastening? Do you view it as negative? Or positive? Do you really fully understand its purpose? Hopefully, 
now you understand it a little bit better than you did and that I didn't actually just confuse the whole matter even worse with my illustration of um, receiving and accepting. Anyways, but that you, you, you get that part. How important is reflecting the holiness and righteousness of God in your life? You'll see that again t- next week because that's really from the, the parts we didn't get to, right? But this is God's goal. And so if I really want this to be reflected in my life, and I understand that it's going to be a direct result of chastening, then now chastening is going to have a different perspective coming from my life. And based upon God's interaction in your life, would you say that you are truly his child? If you are walking in sin, and you know, you know, you know. I mean, you're here, so that's a good indicator, right? I mean, you sit through my long preaching, and you're still here, right? And so, and wait, everybody's still awake? Okay, good, okay. If, if you fell asleep, I'm going to take points off. Anyway, I'm joking. But, but you can only do this for yourself. And so the question is there, even for someone who may stumble upon this audio or video later, right? I mean, the reality is, I can fool everybody else here, but I'm not going to fool God. Finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you love us enough to bring chastisement into our life. Lord, we certainly don't want it, but yet, Lord, as I consider who you are, that you are faithful and true and that you love me beyond what I can ever fully comprehend and imagine that you have allowed or caused to come into my life only those things which you know can be used for my good. Though others may mean it for evil, you have meant it for good you are a good and gracious God. You are just. You are holy. But you are faithful and true. Help us to magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen.